Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there. Hi. <laughs> That's my dog saying hello. <laughs> um, hi. I think we're up and on. Uh, sorry for the slight delay. I, I should tell you um, that um, both my producer, Amy, and I are at home. And um, we are, uh, you know, our usual equipment is... Uh, is still trying to adjust to uh, where we are. I know there were some audio difficulties uh, yesterday's show, toward, especially toward the end, where we went in and out. Um, and we're trying a, a new uh, hotspot location in Amy's, in Amy's house today uh, in hopes that won't happen. Although we did talk, of course, yesterday about how the Internet and especially our home, you know, the, our capacity of the Internet in our homes is not the same as that in businesses generally. So um, we, I, I guess I would like to uh, say that if you lose uh, me uh, for a little while, don't give up. Chances are we're still here and I'm still I'm still talking and and might come back, okay? We're doing the best the best we can. Um and hang on. I and, and I also have to tell you I'm juggling a lot of uh things that uh and, you know normally I don't have to uh juggle to find out that there's a caller on. By the way, um we're going to as I said try to use the show as much as possible um, for us to stay in touch. I, I mean, never has this been more important in a, in a strange way. Uh, this takes this program uh, back to what uh, radio shows in the early days of radio used to be, where um, – there would be call-ins, but people would, you know, just it would be over the backyard fence kind of talk, a way for communities to, you know, stay together, <clears throat> to talk to each other. And um, I suspect more and more that that's what this program will be able to do. At least I hope so. Um, I'm. I'm suspecting that because most of us are stuck at our homes, that um, you probably are receiving a lot more news information than maybe you used to, and that you don't need me as much as the news source as you did. But but I'm a journalist by training, um, and it's very difficult for me not to pass on uh, information I find important and or interesting. So uh, welcome to the uh, Wednesday, March 18th edition of Lynn Cullen Live, and I hope to maintain that designation <laughs> throughout. But Oh, dear God. Um, I, You know, there are times when I'm feeling uh, totally... Uh, Upbeat is the wrong word. I'm feeling resolve. I'm feeling like, okay, uh, this can be done. This Nobody asked for this, but we're going to do this. And uh, I'm going to get through this, and we're going to manage. And, and, and then there are times, you know, where you just feel so uh, sort of despairing and frightened and lonely and all of that. So we're all on our individual roller coasters. Um, we are alone together. And it's the together part we need to hang on to, right? So, uh, Yiko, um, I, there's so much I want to share with you. There, 
I know a lot of you have said, can you go longer than an hour? I I probably could. I haven't talked to Amy about doing that. We'll, we'll see, okay? If we can, um, we will. Um, one of the things, before I get into anything political or what's happening, uh, one of the items I came across that I found fascinating was um, why soap? <laughs> why washing our hands, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands, is such a miracle. Um, I'm thinking, my God, they can't figure out how to kill this virus, then they tell us soap does? Well, can't they somehow make soap we can ingest? <laughs> and it can go to work killing the damn virus once it enters our bodies? And I thought, how can soap, something that's literally been around for uh, thousands of years, I mean, thousands of years, some some smart cookie figured out um, that you know, who knows that they could with I don't know what they did it with with um, somehow with animal uh, or vegetable remains. What would it be? Uh, uh, soap is often made out of uh, yeah dead animals. They're fat. I'm not sure. <laughs> Someone figured out and happened to be near water when they had some of that stuff and they found it made a lather and that the lather seemed to clean their skin. But I came upon this thing that explains it and it's it's fascinating. You've seen the pictures of the virus, haven't you? It's first of all, it is bizarre. It looks like a like I mean, some people might see it and say, boy, that actually looks pretty. You know, there's those little little red sort of flower-like things popping out of, out of it. Um, it looks very decorative, like a pin you might wear, a brooch you might wear. Um, but that virus, that if you've seen those pictures, it has these spikes uh, that look almost like flowers uh, coming out of it. And those spikes are what helps the virus pierce our cells. So when it gets into us, that's how it then makes entry. Now, let's get to soap. So a soap molecule uh, ain't so pretty. If you look at it under a microscope, it it looks like what I think sperm look like, um, although not quite, but it has a long tail and it has a round head. It's very simple looking, round head and then a longer tail coming out of it. Um, and the head of the soap is the part of it that bonds with water. The tail of the, the molecule, soap molecule, is not so fond of water, strangely. <laughs> so while we're lathering up, the little head parts of the soap are happy as heck. The little tail parts are not and are looking for other things to uh, glom onto. And so it is the tails of those soap molecules. When those non-water loving and uh, soap tail, this is me trying to be scientific. When those tails encounter, you're washing your hands, you have the virus on your hands, the soap molecules, um, the tails of the soap molecules wedge themselves into the membrane of the virus. That is the part in between those spikes on the virus. And the tails head into that, trying to get away from the water. And they do get in. They pierce the membrane of the coronavirus and they pry it apart. And then more soap tails go running in. 
And so the soap traps dirt and fragments of the destroyed virus. The tails have knocked it apart. The soap goes in and destroys the rest of it in tiny bubbles that are called micelles. And they wash away in water. So that's, I don't know if you follow that, but that's how it works. Think of your soap now every time you're lathering up as you're putting all of these little things, these molecules into play with these tails that don't like the water that you've subjected them to and desperately try, if there's anything around, to instead get into that and avoid it. So if there's a coronavirus um, <clears throat> around, bang those tails go bang right into it, and they break it apart. And then the rest of the soap destroys the virus by it within bubbles that are called micelles, which we then wash away with the water. I mean, think of that. It's, it's, it's just extraordinary that a little bit of plain old soap, it doesn't have to be antibacterial soap, it can be any, because this is not a bacteria, guys. So don't be going nuts getting, oh, but it's not antibacterial soap. And soap is made out of these molecules, okay? And has, since we figured out how to make it as human beings, um, and the recipe for making soap is relatively the same for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, it is our most valuable medical intervention. It kills other molecules, especially ones we don't like. So nothing. It's more important than the toilet paper you're craving and the hand wipes and everything. Soap. And, you know, it's the same article that I saw um, said that as this basic foundation of um, hygiene, Hand washing is a relatively new or relatively newly accepted idea. No one knew that soap did anything like that. They just knew it sort of cleaned things, right? It wasn't until 1840 that some Hungarian doctor, a guy named Ignaz Semmelweis, discovered that if he washed his hands before helping a woman deliver a child, it just seemed anecdotally to him that fewer of the women died in childbirth. And he told his, his, uh, his other doctor friends about it. He said, wash your hands. Wash your hands before doing any anything that invades your patient's body because I, I really think that um, that protects them. They ridiculed poor Dr. Semmelweis. They ridiculed him to the point they pretty much drove him mad. And he was eventually committed to an asylum where he died from an infected wound. About 20 years later, Florence Nightingale uh, also said, you know, wash your hands, please, before you're dealing with these poor wounded soldiers. But few did. And it wasn't until recently, the 1980s, that the Centers for Disease Control 
issued the world's first nationally endorsed wash your hands guideline. 1980. So washing with soap and water is and has been one of the key public health practices. And it, above all else, can significantly slow the rate of any pandemic and limit the number of infections. So if you're sick of hearing, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands, now at least have this visual in your head of those little spermy-looking soap molecules and their water-avoiding tails looking desperately to find something to hide in. And if there's a coronavirus on your hands, man, they're going in and they're killing it. And wash wisely. I think we all have learned how to wash minimally 20 seconds um, in between. Uh, I, I also want to point out that when I see women with these very long nails, uh, those look to me like a, a, a dangerous now. They always looked a little dangerous to me, but they really look dangerous now because they think of the viruses that can hide and take refuge under nails. So washing under your nails is a big deal now. And I think the less nail you have, the safer you will be and others around you. And since they've closed down the, uh, the, the nail places, the nail spas, ladies, take them down. Take them down. You'll be safeguarding yourself. You'll be safeguarding your families. And finally, the last thing I'm going to say on soap, uh, this uh, health officer from Canada put it best. Wash your hands as if you've been chopping jalapeno peppers and you need to change your contact lenses. So, everybody, healthy or not, soap, soap, soap. And I still ask, why can't they figure out how to put those soap things into a capsule or something we can inhale since this gets into our lungs and let those damn soap bubbles go nuts. I'm going to start eating this stuff. No, don't listen to me, please. Um, Noreen says, soap was originally made from animal fat. I thought so. That's why they say, you know, they sent old horses off to the soap factory. Um yeah, and they melted down their fat to make to make soap. Uh, so soap was originally made from animal fat and and lye, which was made from wood ashes. Wow! Mix all that stuff together, let it solidify, and you got yourself some soap. Um, let's see what else I got here. I just want to make sure I'm I'm aware of um, any calls. Thank you. Um, one of you told me to put make sure our phone number was up on the screen. I know they were going to try to do that. I'm not. I I don't see the screen when I'm doing the show, so I hope it's up there. Um, and believe it or not, I don't know the <laughs> I don't know the number, um, but uh, it'll be there at some point if it's not if it's not today. Okay. Uh, where to go? Good news. You don't have to pay your taxes on time. Uh, the IRS has extended uh, what is usually, of course, the April 15th the deadline for three months. So that means July. Uh, now, obviously, if you have a refund coming, <laughs> you want to get those taxes in. Get them in. Get them in. But um, if not, uh, you can sort of relax uh, about that. Um, oh, thank you, Amy. 
the phone number for the show. I should write this down. Is 412-200-5686. Okay? 412-200-5686. Mount Lebanon made the... um, Front page of the Wall Street Journal today, guys, under a headline, New Hotspot for Hoarders, Libraries. So it turns out as libraries uh, closed and announced that they were closing, uh, people made runs on them like they did on the state stores and the grocery stores and everything else. I sort of like that idea of people, you know, running for books, realizing they'll have more time to read. But it is the story is Dateline, Mount Lebanon, PA, and um, it starts with uh, the fact that as the li- Mount Lebanon Library opened at nine on Saturday, there was already a line <laughs> outside, um, and that was true all over the country. Um, it says here, just so you know, in Mount Lebanon, a prosperous suburb south of Pittsburgh. The library announced late Friday afternoon it would close for at least a month. Saturday was the last chance to raid the shelves. At least one person had checked out more than 100 items. Others tottered out with beach bags full of books. Uh, That's a little annoying. People, other people are doing, um, obviously, um, CDs. DVDs, that kind of thing. But if you hadn't done it by now, I guess it's 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 too late. And I, I really think that what this uh, virus will do, besides change life as we know it, scare us all to death and all of that, is it will unmask character. Right? So that Again, you find out about people. You find out about yourself. Sometimes that knowledge is unsettling um, and not what you want. And sometimes it's gratifying. You can say, okay, well, that's good. It brings out the good in many people. And it brings out the bad in many people. Um, And since this is a global event. We are all in it together. So selfishness is not a good response in any way, even for the selfish. (laughs) It's really important to think of others during this time. And human nature being what it is, uh, it's it's going to be hard for a lot of people. I've been hanging on to a piece that David Brooks wrote, um, good God, probably now about uh, six days ago. And I, I'm going to share it now simply because I saw that the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette printed it in their edition today. So some of you have seen it, and uh, as long as it's out there, I'll I'll share some of it with the rest of you. I, I I was so put off by the headline because it was depressing, the headline, that I just didn't want to read it. I finally did, and uh, it is depressing, but something that we should, I suppose, know. Um, this is no time either for sugarcoating anything. The headline of David Brooks' column in the New York Times uh, last week was Pandemics Kill Compassion. Now, naive little me would think the opposite, and that's true. It is the opposite for many of us, but not for others. Um, Many disasters, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, we see bring people immediately together. But this is of a different stripe. Because it doesn't bring us together physically, it it pulls us apart. And in 
human nature for many, dread and fear overwhelm the normal bonds of human affection. There, um, and he goes into a lot of historical detail. Um, the uh, famous Daniel Defoe uh, book, A Journal of the Plague Year, which he wrote in 1665 during the uh, London epidemic. Uh, Defoe said the danger of immediate death to ourselves took away all bonds of love, all concern for one another. So that's a report on human nature from 1665 during a pandemic. Um, the Spanish flu uh, in the United States showed um, a very unwelcome picture of um, Americans' ability for compassion. Um, health workers in in cities all over the U.S. in 1918 were begging for volunteers, and almost no one stepped up. In uh, Philadelphia, the head of a emergency aid was pleading for help in taking care of children who were sick, children whose Parents had died, children who were starving because there was no one to give them any food. Nobody answered her pleas. And Brooks goes on to say, this is why, probably, so many of us never really knew much about this 1918 flu. I only knew of it because my grandfather had it, my mom's dad. Uh, he was a returning doughboy. He had it, and he recovered, thank God. And I remember her talking about it because it was a story he told. She was not alive yet. But this explains, Brooke says, why when that pandemic ended, Nobody talked about it. There were no books. There were very, let me be clear. There were very, very few books about an event that killed 10 times more Americans that had just been killed in World War I. 675,000 Americans died. And you would expect that, believe me, you would expect that to have led to a number of books, plays, all kinds of stuff written about it, but next to none. That pandemic left, as Brooks says, almost no conscious cultural mark. And he says... The reason why is it was a shameful memory for most people. They did not like who they were, and so they didn't talk about it. They didn't want it memorialized. They wanted it pushed into the past, and it was. I hope we do better. I really, 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 really hope we do better. I was also thinking of that question that sometimes gets asked when people talk about the Holocaust and those amazing people who risk their own lives to save strangers, to take in a, a Jewish child or to take in an entire family, when doing so would mean they would be killed, their families would be killed. I can't imagine such courage. And we wonder, would I, in that position, be one of those saint-like people, one of those righteous people? And I think now we get a hint, right, of whether we would. 
and it's chastening, truly. All right, so now back to our normal fare. Um, our president, <laughs> who who has turned on a dime and is is now saying a lot of the right kinds of things, um, I suspect because he realized that there ain't no way he's getting reelected unless he changed his act. But he told uh, reporters yesterday this, this is a pandemic. I felt it was a pandemic long before it was called a pandemic. <laughs> well, he's turned on a dime, but he still can't keep himself from lying and constant self-aggrandizement. And if he thinks, and if the Republicans think, they that we are going to forget because now they're going to step forward and act like socialists, they got to be out of their cotton-picking minds. I remind them that video exists. I remind them that we have video of the president saying in January when he was asked about a possible pandemic, is he worried? No, not at all. We have it totally under control. It's one person coming in from China. We have it under control. It's going to be just fine. One month later, here's the president. This is February 26. We're going to be pretty soon at only five people, and we could be at just one or two over the next short period of time. So we've had very good luck. The next day, it's going to disappear. One day, it's like a miracle. It disappears. On and on and on. March 16th, by the way, he was saying the outbreak would wash away this summer. Here's his quote. So it could be right in that period of time where it, I, I say wash, it washes through. Other people don't like that term, but, but that's it. It washes through. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, all of a sudden, Donald Trump, uh, you know, trying to become somebody he is not. We will remember. Uh, we have a caller. Caller, go ahead, please. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hey, uh, you notice though they want Trump wants a stimulus, eight hundred fifty billion, or rather blow a hole in the not the deficit. I mean, but the thing is, you don't hear him say we're going to take back the tax cuts for the rich to pay for it. Just like the Iraq War, we don't have a war tax to pay for it. So they never want to pay for it, but they do. They, I agree, you got to do some, but let's pay for it too. So take back the tax cuts from the rich, and let's use that money. Then we well, that I, money. Ab absolutely. I mean, Listen, here's. He, let me just tell you. Here's why. In yeah. November, we throw the Republicans out. That's out of the Senate out of the House, out of the White House, and then we take that tax, those tax cuts back because they never will, okay? This is why – you're right. This is why you have to elect um, a democratic government because we will start putting the money where it should be and taking it back, all that – all that unbelievable money to people who don't need any more money and we'll give it to people who do and to programs that will help people who need help. That only happens if there's a democratic government. Right. It ain't going to happen before that. It is not. You're, yeah. you're right. They'll, so, they, they now are throwing money. The Republicans, they can't throw enough money at us now it'll just start being thrown and don't believe for a minute that all their lobbyist friends 
aren't in the front of the line still. Okay? They're still enriching their pals. When they want to do that payroll tax. I thought that was ridiculous. So what you'll do is you'll cut that to Social Security back and then say, okay, we don't have enough money. We'll cut Social Security. Don't play that game. You take it off the rich. Don't play that. I'm glad everybody shot it down. I think even the Republicans did. They knew it wasn't a, it was a poison right there to start. But, you know, <clears throat> these guys are they're the worst. And all Trump cares about is his economy, his precious Great economy, which I never thought it was. I thought it was. And here's here's one other thing I want to say. Here's where the global economy is biting us in the ass because we got these restaurants and service industry and everything's made overseas. So we can't make it here now. We got to get. So it's coming around to bite us in the ass, and it's it's big time biting us in the ass. And well, then we have people travel more than ever because they have to go over and check their factories, and travel is just ridiculous. So here you go again. Trade has screwed us over again. It's going to keep screwing us over until we learn that we have to make this stuff here and maybe do some trading over there. But it's got to be a 70% made here, 30% over there, and then you'll have a real economy. But he will never happen. Because the rich run it all, and that's all it is. Well, it's a big job. Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. And, and thank you. <laughs> Thanks for okay, the call. Thank you. Okay. I, I want to say bye. Right now, we need to just focus on the big, I mean, the immediate picture. And, and that is uh, geez, flattening the damn curve and and trying to ameliorate the suffering the that is going to occur in this country um we all know people i'm sure who are already in terrible financial distress whose businesses have had to close um you know restaurants in general operate on a, a really thin uh margin and uh, it's, it's really um, people are going to be suffering, and the reco- the economic recovery from this really should be bottom up, not top down. Um, we'll see. We'll do better if we kick these Republicans out, because all they do do is enrich the already rich. They still believe in trickle down. Keep making the rich richer, and then all the little peons will somehow make it. Um, I want to share with you something that is of interest, I think. Um, There's been some concern about whether or not um, there will be a, a national election that Trump, in fact, could call the election off if he thinks he's going to lose. We're seeing primaries uh, postponed. Um, The reality is, I'm I'm just giving you what I know to be true. Uh, The date of the national election is set by federal law and has been set on the same date um, ever since 1845. Because it is set by a federal law, it would take a change in federal law to move it, to move that date. Um, And that's not going to happen. The Constitution also mandates that the new Congress elected, that is elected in November, must be sworn in on January 3rd, and that the new president must be sworn in on January 20. Those dates can't be changed through normal legislation. (laughs) Those would take a constitutional amendment. Now, can the president, through an executive order, because we're in an emergency, Can he say this is an emergency, blah, blah, blah? No, he cannot by law. 
We held elections through all our wars. We held elections even in the Civil War when we were fighting whether we were even going to be a nation. Elections have been moved at the state and local level. And you might recall that right after 9-11, there had been, a, 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 I think, a, a primary, um, a city primary in New York City. Um, and immediately that was postponed. Elections have been postponed, uh, state elections, because of hurricanes and things like that. Um, it was also reported in uh, 2004 that uh, some officials in the Bush administration had been talking about putting in place a method of postponing a federal election, the presidential election, in the event of a terrorist attack. But that idea was <clears throat> real fast including by then National Security Advisor Condoleezza Rice, who was quoted as saying this, exactly what I, I guess this is where I got that information from, elections in this country have been held when we were at war, even when we were in civil war, and we should have the elections on time, even if there is a terrorist attack. Now, one of the things, obviously, that can be done is that we can change the way we vote. This is such a no-brainer. We've got to switch to mail to vote. That's not too terribly difficult to do. And uh, this is where states can step in immediately with their primaries. The Pennsylvania primary should be mail-in, and it can be. I will, in another show, you know, walk you through how you can easily get a mail-in ballot for the, um, for the upcoming Pennsylvania primary. But this should be for the national primary as well. Um, because if still we cannot safely gather at polling places, and you know that almost all our election workers are over 60 years old, and they're not supposed to be out there, um, there is nothing more essential to a democracy um, as an election. And some are suggesting now that to ensure we have a national mail-in election, or at least the ability to do that. The Republicans are not going to do that. God knows they won't do it, because Republicans, as we have learned, are all about suppression of voting. They don't want voting to be easy, because the more people who vote, the more Democrats are elected. But here's what Democrats can do, because the only, the only place we have control is the House of Representatives. We, Nancy Pelosi, and they'll take it on the chin for this, they can refuse to pass any of the big stimulus stuff or whatever that they're going to have to be passing unless they're it includes a provision to ensure that the country can hold a presidential election this fall. Uh, this would never get through the Congress in normal times. But here is what uh, Stephen Wolf says. Fighting coronavirus will take warlike mobilization of government resources – but even during the Civil War, we still held elections. It's essential that Congress mandate and provide funding for every state to adopt universal vote by mail so we don't have a political crisis, too. Um, 
this works. You don't have people waiting in line. Uh, Mail voting has been very successful in some states. Washington State, for instance. Uh, By the way, Amy Klobuchar and Ron Wyden, he's also a Democratic senator, have a bill that they have just written which would require all states to hold at least 20 days of early voting, as well as allowing anybody to request a mail-in ballot. And their bill would also say that the federal government would pay the states for this changeover. That cost would probably come to around $1 billion, which now looks like chump change compared to the kind of money that's being thrown around. Um, So uh, there you have it. Um, There's a lot more on it. And I, I just wanted to throw that election stuff um, out there, okay? Also, in terms of our emotional health, which is very important because, you know, I mean, we're all struggling. And as I said, I have good days. I have bad days. I have... I have uh, times when I can hardly bear it, you know, uh, not being able to hug my son, not being able to hug my my loved ones. For all of us, this is just hell. But um, this is some remarks from a therapist, and um, I think they're really smart. And I just want to throw them your way because – Anxiety, I mean, anxiety can be productive, obviously. It's anxiety that's motivating you to wash your hands a lot and to do other things that make sense. But then there's anxiety that is quite the opposite, that just sends our mind spinning around in all kinds of frightening, oh, my God, what if, oh, my God, What if, oh, my God, I am, oh, you know what? And this, that kind, and I suffer from that. I actually suffer, I do have an anxiety disorder. It's called anticipatory anxiety. So I, um, I in my everyday life am always dreading almost everything I have to do before I do it. Um, And then, you know, it's always fine. But just because it's always fine doesn't keep me from then having the same anxiety immediately before. So the kind of anxiety that does that is, is called futurizing or catastrophizing. And it takes a lot out of us. And it's a vicious cycle because the more you worry, the more you try to control your worry – uh, in this case, such as, well, I, I, I need more information. I need to know what's – so you start watching what? CNN or MSNBC nonstop. That is exactly what you don't want to do because all of those latest updates, which you don't need to know in real time, just serve as fodder for more catastrophizing, right, more anxiety. So – you know, letting yourself do what you used to do back in the good old days. One nightly newscast. Binging on up-to-the-minute news is nuts because it's like bloating your mind with unhealthy food that'll make it sick. This therapist says this, and I, I love this story. A few years ago, he says, a patient of mine who was going through cancer treatment told me that she'd come to a realization. She could think about her cancer all day, about the uncertainty of what might happen, or she could feel her fear at times, but also be present in her life right now. She could watch TV with her husband and have a party with her kids and belt out a song in the shower between the moments of understandable fear. And he says that today she's cancer-free for now, 
She is aware that the cancer could come back. But it's on her mind daily the way COVID-19 is on our minds now daily. But she still does what we need to learn to do and not let that awareness, that anxiety consume us. Try to stay where you are. Um, There's this other thing that he talks about that I think is really good. Um, Let's see, we're taking... Um, So, I can't find it right now. So, this is an awful time for us, a real threat. And we cannot minimize the seriousness of this pandemic and the understandable anxiety we should have. But we need to be taking good psychological care of ourselves, guarding our heads as much as we guard our bodies. A virus can invade our bodies, but we're the doorkeepers to deciding what can invade our minds. And remember that we can hold two things in our heads at the same time. Yes, this awful thing is happening, and yet I can read a book. I can play a board game. I can cook a meal. I can take a walk. I can catch up with people I meant to call weeks or months ago. We can make each other laugh. So all of that kind of ordinariness can connect us at a time when we need connection the most. Uh, I think that's important. So let's try to do this in a world that has had trouble practicing civility uh, lately we can experience uh, a much-needed resurgence of kindness uh, to one and other, um, and even at 10 feet apart, right? So I think that's, um, I found that advice helpful, and I hope you did as well. Also, I came across um, this quote, which I loved. Um, Oh, that's not it. That's one that scared me. (laughs) I don't want to do that one. Um, Oh, dang it. I can't believe I lost it. Uh, Here. Um, This guy was writing about how, you know, how spring is always such a wondrous time when we feel oh new birth and we can still you know as I said enjoy the flowers coming up Um, enjoy the the warmth will allow us to be outside more and uh, to hear birds sing and and all of that this is all good Um, and it it makes we've been thinking about what will we be? What will our country be? What will we as individuals be after this, after we finish, after we get through it? Um, will we be better because of it? I have this feeling that we will. Um, this is a very harsh life lesson, I guess. And I am hoping that there are more people who are learning positive things from this than those poor, frightened souls who are running out to buy guns and bullets. If that is a person's response to this, 
I I frankly can only feel, you know, very, very sorry for them. So I think there may be, as we are able, God willing, to look back on this, be benefits to the fact that we have had to disrupt our normal lives, that we have had to shelter in place, that we have had to go back to old ways of filling our time, and that we have maybe stopped texting as much as we now pick up a phone to hear another person's voice, back to calling each other, reaching out to each other. Um, The quote I was looking for is this. It's by uh, Blaise Pascal. And he said, all humanity's problems stem from an inability to sit in a quiet room alone. Well, a lot of us find ourselves in quiet rooms alone now. And so if we haven't been good at that, let's use this to get good at it. Your mind will thank you. Your body will thank you. We'll be better for it. Those who can take deep breaths, meditate, go online, learn how to meditate if you don't know. Um, All of this is really important stuff. I must admit, I have had the thought, because I'm here alone, that I feel for people who are not alone, but who, in fact, are trapped with people that they don't really get along with. So that must be very trying uh, for people who are in not great marriages to now be stuck together. Um, Maybe, maybe it'll be a time when they too can figure out how to rediscover uh, what they had, I, I don't know. But um, some of us uh, might be better off alone. And uh, and, other, and I think the luckiest, of course, are people who are stuck uh, with people who they truly adore and who support them and who, uh, you know, get along. Uh, but mostly... There might just be some windfall in this, a windfall of more wisdom um, in our personal lives, in our even political lives. If we use this time apart, alone, together, just think like we don't usually, to think more deeply about who we are. You know, my phone tells me how much screen time I've had, and sometimes the number is really appalling. And I have been surprised to find that during this, my screen time is down. Um, I, I don't know. I suspect most people's screen time is up. But don't spend it all uh, in front of a screen, the TV screen, the computer screen, your phone screen, Try to spend it with those more old-fashioned ways of all those books in your house you never read, (laughs) you know. Um, Whatever. Guys, um, thank you so much uh, for being there, and um, we'll continue uh, this as long as we can. Uh, Be safe. Be smart. Be well. I'll talk to you tomorrow. through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com.
The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.